politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hello, friends and neighbors. Thanks for joining us for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM. And, of course, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Or podcast as well to all podcatchers, but we appreciate it when you can join us live here Tuesday afternoons at 1 o'clock. Hope you make it a habit to join us. Really good show for you today. I have a very special guest who I'll introduce in about 10 minutes, and we'll have the balance of the hour to uh, chat with her. And I have a few comments I want to make here at the top of the show. First, I want to thank you for your contributions and donations during the fall fund drive at KPFK. The winter fund drive will be coming up soon, and I know some of you find this a little frustrating that we even have to do this, but the alternative would be 16 minutes every hour of commercials from corrupt corporations that <laughs> not only done you with products you don't really need, but would have an editorial influence over programmers, and you don't want that. That's what we love about KPFK is that there's no corporate influence here. Nobody influences us at all. We're just a group of progressive women and men, diverse, with uh, many different belief systems. But the one thing we share is a progressive view of humanity and a passion for democracy, for peace and social justice. And on this program in particular, and I think this is true for a number of other programs like the Aware Show and Intervision and, and, and others, too many to name really, peace we understand is much more than the absence of war or even conflict in the external world. Peace is a level of awareness. It's a state of mind. It is consciousness. And we expand our awareness and attain higher consciousness, so to speak. That's the same thing as expanded awareness. When we promote for ourselves a peaceful inner countenance, when we calm down, when we take a breath and relax and calm down a little bit, still waters run deep, right? Well, the whole idea of developing or creating and accessing levels of expanded awareness of inner peace is the clarity that comes with that, the insight, the profound understanding. And along with that, an enhanced ability to influence the world around us. And this is quite a magical concept, and magic is a, really a great word for it. This is not stage magic or illusion we're talking about, but real magic. In the past few months, we've brought you quite a few expert speakers, scientists, researchers, scholars, and academicians who have carefully and precisely explained an entirely, well, in some ways, new concept, but in other ways, ancient concept of reality 
That is something objective that exists out there, whether we observe it or not. But it's a projection of our perception as assembled in our head. When you look at an object across the room and say, well, I see it over there, you're actually describing reflected light perceived by the eye and interpreted by your brain and seen and experienced in a very subjective way. We're not all seeing the same thing. We don't see the same colors, though we agree this is green, this is red. My wife and I often disagree on blues and reds. She says I'm colorblind. Perhaps I am, but it's subjective. We have different views. Also, our belief systems cause us to see reality, not in an objective, but in a very personal way. And this is just the beginning of understanding the impact of awareness or consciousness on our perception of reality. There's also the influence of the outward projection of awareness upon these external conditions and events. My gosh, 60 years ago or so at Duke University, card-guessing experiments began and uh, studies about people tossing dice while in their mind they held a desire or intention for a particular outcome. And while not able to control the roll of the dice with your mind, nevertheless, repeatedly, individuals were able to beat in statistically significant ways chance that it really matters if you know what you want when you throw the dice. Your awareness, your consciousness, your belief system, your intention, your attention and your intention makes a difference. Again, not absolutely, but subtly. And this helps us to understand the whole idea of spiritual healing, of the impact of faith and belief undesired outcomes, uh, the idea that prayer works, that life is a self-fulfilling prophecy, that we do indeed tend to reap what we sow and get what we expect and go where we look. On today's show, I'd like to suggest that a whole generation of baby boomers was influenced in this belief by what's come to be called Disney magic. When Disneyland opened, and ever since, it's been called the Magical Kingdom. And people who've worked on the Disney lot in one capacity or another will tell you about what's commonly discussed as Disney magic. And you know what they're talking about. This is when you wish upon a star, your dreams will come true, right? It's Peter Pan when we were little kids and... The whole idea was to engage the audience of children through their belief system that if we all believe together, and as I remember, we were clapping in the movie theater so that the kids in Peter Pan could fly, and they did, and it was because we believed. And Pinocchio becoming a real boy, that passion, that desire, is something that Walt Disney instilled in an entire generation, and more, I think, generations that have followed since. So how about you? Do you believe dreams come true? Do you believe there's real magic? Do you think what you believe 
matters, makes a difference. I certainly do. I think this is karma. I think it's basically you reap what you sow. There's a passage in the Christian New Testament, I think in Matthew, where uh, Christ explains that he has to speak in parables, stories, metaphors, allegories, because there's no way you'd understand him if he just said it straight out. And one of the most powerful allegories ever spoken by Jesus was, whatever you sow, you shall also reap. And so pessimistic people get what they expect, and they gather together evidence that they're absolutely right. See, this is why I'm negative. This always happens to me. I fear that it's going to fall apart, and it always does. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. (laughs) Right? But of course, the optimist says the same thing. You know, when I know what I want and when I'm clear and specific and detailed about it, when I'm patient and I believe and I give time for things to grow, I often get exactly what I want. And if I don't get exactly what I want, often I get exactly what I need. But what you think, how you feel, what you care about matters. And quantum physicists are telling us that this is the case, that whether it's the observer effect or entanglement at a distance, the double slit experiment, you cannot separate the behavior of quantum particles, of small subatomic particles, from human consciousness. I have a wonderful author coming up soon, the head scientist of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Dr. Dean Radin, is going to be with us a few weeks from now discussing his wonderful book called Entangled Minds. Stay tuned for that. In fact, I've I've got a number of great shows I'm anxious to tell you about, but I don't want to tip my hand too much. So Disney magic and magic in general, the whole idea of real magic, of existing in the image of the creator, being co-creators of our reality, is our topic for today. And I have a big Disney star, someone everyone knows who I'm being introduced in just a couple of minutes. We're going to take a real short break and be right back. Stay right where you are. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner on KPFK in Los Angeles. Looking for another way to support KPFK? By donating your vehicle, you're supporting the programming you value. Donating your vehicle is quick and easy. You can always pledge your support at kpfk.org. You appreciate KPFK, and we appreciate you. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK for all of Southern California, and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Appreciate you being with us today. We have a real special guest who's... No stranger to Hollywood, though she's lived most of her life in the United Kingdom. And um, I've had the good fortune of knowing her. Uh, My wife actually introduced us three decades ago or so when her daughter, my stepdaughter, shared a bill with Haley in, uh, in a Disney film that they shot in England. So having been named the same first name, Haley, my wife's daughter, 
And our guest today, it was uh, an odd coincidence that they'd end up sharing a bill in this movie called Back Home. If you haven't guessed already, my guest is Haley Mills. Haley, good afternoon and welcome to KPFK. Thank you, Michael. It's a great pleasure to finally be on your your wonderful radio program. Uh, I'm 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 really uh, genuinely thrilled after all this time. You finally invited me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a, a memoir that I want people to know about because you're such a special person. Your career goes back to your childhood, of course. And I think the title of the book is provocative, borrowing from Bob Dylan, I guess, Forever Young, a memoir. You must have been aware that Dylan did a song by that title. What prompted you to choose Forever Young as the title of your memoir? You're absolutely right, Michael. It was Dylan's song, Forever Young. It's a wonderful song. And I wish I had the kind of memory that could just reel off the lyrics just like that but I can't. But the heart of the song, the idea that he's singing about to his child, that whatever happens in life, they remain forever young. And of course, forever young in their heart and soul, their spirit. Um, Nobody stays young forever. Uh, Indeed, would one really want to? But uh, if you're spiritually young, that's the thing. I think that's the important thing. Well, that brings up a question I wanted to ask you, Haley. Since you're probably, I think without a doubt, best known for your childhood roles as Pollyanna, and of course everybody remembers The Parent Trap. Have you felt pressure throughout your career to remain that optimistic little girl, to portray youth and vitality and optimism? And Has there been pressure on you to be typecast as this idealistic, naive child? Well, you know, um, I think one of the reasons that I got that I got the part of Pollyanna was that <laughs> it was a bit like me, idealistic, naive, um, you know, mad enthusiasm for everything, um, you know, not academically top of the class at all I was a normal child of 12 I do think that um, playing that character and this the success of that character which I can't take the credit for because everyone who plays that character captures people's imagination and the book itself was a huge bestseller when it came out the turn of the century the first actress to play Pollyanna, of course, was Mary Pickford. And she played it when she was actually 26 or 27. And it was an enormous success. And she became known as a result of that as America's sweetheart. You know, it, it's a very beguiling character. Um, and certainly there are things about Pollyanna that I liked and I thought were good and worth remembering. She is the eternal optimist, really. She's the glass half full and not half empty. And I think, you know, there, there was a time in my life when I found it very difficult to to see the world like that. And I, 
I saw the world half empty <laughs> for, for a while. Um, but that was all tied up with growing up, you know, and leaving childhood behind and going through adolescence, which is pretty chronic for most of us, uh, actually. Um, but I think that <laughs> it's going to sound rather corny, but I think I have got qualities of Pollyanna. I want to be happy. I want to see... I want to see the best in people. I want to I want to look for silver linings when things get really difficult and dark. I do, I do. And maybe it was Pollyanna's influence, or maybe I would have been like that all along. I don't know. Actually, my father was a bit like that, very like that, actually. He was a tremendous enthusiast. He loved, loved life. Every day he woke up with a sense of excitement, and gratitude and uh, um that was a big influence on me on all of us to have that Haley, i think there was something about the time the uh early 1960s i was one of countless children sitting in the movie theater i remember my mother taking me to see pollyanna and it impacted me such that I've remembered it all my life. And I can't say to what extent, but I presume a whole generation of baby boomers may have gained some idealism and enthusiasm from Pollyanna and Disney in general. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was Disney magic, so-called. Right. And you and I have talked briefly in the past about this, the idea that you did six films for Disney and Walt was sort of a father figure for you. And I'm wondering what you can tell us about the whole idea that Walt had about dreaming your dreams and wishing on a star. And if everybody believed the kids in Peter Pan could fly and we all clapped together they truly could fly. Yes. Uh, I think that impacted a whole generation or two, maybe more. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I think so. I, I mean, uh, I think you're right that, that, that Disney cared very much about children. And he said to me once, he wanted to show people the best in themselves. And th that's what he was, you know, that, that was absolutely the, the, the core of uh, the message in his movies. He wanted people to see people striving uh, against difficulties and obstacles and um, people treating each other with consideration and compassion and appreciation and all of those things. You know, people can and do criticize Disney for presenting, you know, an unreal picture of the world. Uh, that that it's, it's not like that, 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 you know, life doesn't have a happy ending always. Sometimes it does, but ultimately we die. So I don't know. Depends what you think about death. But um, he was and still is in many, many respects a positive force for good in the world. Well, I think he was, and I understand that he was controversial in many ways, Disneyland uh, in the 60s would not let hippies <laughs> uh, come into the gates. 
And uh, so I guess there was a political overtone to that. No, I didn't know that, Michael. That's oh, absolutely yeah. fascinating. They yeah, you didn't yeah. want all the children to get high on the smell of marijuana as they went on all the rides. <laughs> well, there was a high associated with being at Disneyland. You didn't even have to get on the ride. No, Again, so magical. And, you know, Haley, you and I uh, have both uh, lived full lives, and I think I'll speak for myself. I do believe in real magic, that dreams do come true. They don't always take the shape that we desire. Sometimes, uh, like the Rolling Stones, we get what we need rather than what we want, perhaps. But I wonder how you feel about that. I know you have a strong spiritual side to you. Do you think uh, awareness or consciousness has an influence on the outcome of things? I do. I absolutely do. Um, I, there's, 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 there's not a shadow of doubt in my mind. And I'm a, I'm a great believer in as far as desiring a particular outcome or wanting a certain something to happen, uh, to think about it and um, think about it as clearly as, as, as one can and put it out there, as they say. I really do. Um, things do happen. I mean, I was very lonely at one time. And actually, it was in 19... When was it? 19... 98, 98, I was touring America in The King and I, and I I was on my own. My boys were in England, and um, I had been on my own for, for a while. The last relationship had, had um, broken up, and I really was, I wanted to share my life with somebody, and I was on the road for about a year and uh, with this wonderful, wonderful show, and I remember having a conversation with my darling dad and he said how are you darling and I said oh I'm all right daddy so are you a bit lonely I said well I have to admit I am a little bit lonely when I come home at night there's nobody here to share my day with and he said oh he said he said what you need what you want is a lovely man I wish the lovely man would come into your life and I said oh I know daddy but you know maybe that's not gonna happen now I'm getting on a bit you know knocking on a bit and as I as I was talking I was looking at this lovely bed in the hotel and um and on both sides of the bed were these white tarling dressing gowns that hotels put out, you know, and it's always so lovely. I love hotels. And and I was thinking, oh, there's always just one dressing gown being used, being worn, you know. And I was thinking, oh, it'd be so lovely to have somebody in that other dressing gown. And lo and behold, within a, <laughs> within, um, a very short time, there was somebody lovely in that other dressing gown. And it was my partner for those who you know, and we've been together now for 25 years. Um, you know, and I do believe in, in, in expecting the best. I believe, you know, to prepare for the best and uh, allow the space for the best to come into your life. And it's jolly hard now with so many awful things going on in the world. 
uh, and and people can, you know, understandably accuse one of being a Pollyanna in the worst sense of the word, being unrealistic and you know sentimental. But but you know, dreams, as you say, come true, and magic happens, and good things happen, and good people are still out there making them happen. Your friend George Harrison wrote a song borrowing from Lewis Carroll with the lyric, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Oh, right. Yeah. And so we have to be goal-oriented. If we only avoid or attempt to avoid what we don't want, that's not a goal. That's right. It's paralysis. Well, it could get you to run quickly away from a situation you want to avoid, and there's a survival thing in that, of course, but that's only temporary. That's not going to take you any place desirable. It's just avoid the danger or the discomfort. But then we have to reorient ourselves, it seems, toward a goal. Yes. I can't go on vacation by saying I want to leave L.A. I need a destination, right? That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So when people say positive thinking is unrealistic, uh, I'm always challenged by that to engage in a conversation, ideally, where I explain, no, it's an imperative. We, we have to be positive and goal-oriented because we reap what we sow, we go where we look, we get what we expect. That's what karma is, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and I think if you, if you look for the, if you, you know, you seek to see the best in people, as Walt Disney did, you find it. And since we're talking about Pollyanna, there's a scene at the beginning of the film um, with Carl Molden, and she shows him this medallion, and on the back is written, if you, look, if you look for the bad in mankind, you will surely find it. And it's supposedly by Abraham Lincoln. Well, it wasn't Abraham Lincoln at all. It was David Swift who wrote that, who wrote the script. <laughs> but that's true. If you look for the bad, you'll find it. And if you look for the good, you will also find it. And if you look for the good and you see the good in somebody, you bring it out of them, don't you? Oh, I think so. I think in the physical world, opposites attract, but in the spiritual realm, like attracts like. Mm. Yeah, I think the polarities are reversed down here. You know, you mentioned Carl Maldit. He was the fire and brimstone preacher in Pollyanna, as I recall, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. That was an interesting counterpoint to Pollyanna. Yes. I mean, your character, Pollyanna, was horrified to sit in that church, <laughs> hear this guy thundering from this elevated pulpit about evil this and burning in hell for eternity and yes. ponding the podium. And thought that was an interesting bit of tension in the script that, Yes. Counterpoint, that opposition of, of outlook, of, of, of values, and help to create Pollyanna as the, the proper end of the bar magnet, the, <laughs> the ideal. You know, move toward what you want rather than avoid yes. hell. Right. Oh, and, of course, he, he sought to control his congregation through fear, 
And Pollyanna's father sought to do it through love. And you have always said there are only two emotions, love and fear. Everything comes down to basically love and fear. And I often think about that. I don't know if you were the first person to say that, but you were the first person that I heard say it. Well, I'm sure I'm not the first person to have said that, but I do believe that, mm. that people talk about love and hate as opposites. And I said, no, it's not hate. It's, it's fear. Hate is a byproduct or a symptom of fear. Right. Mm. And, uh, I think that's a insightful way to look at the dark times that we've been going through in the last half decade is when people frighten us, it's because they're frightened. Yep. You know that saying, hurt people, hurt people? Yes. I think frightened people frighten people. Yes. And when we find ourselves being frightened by someone, if we would draw on our compassion and look at their suffering, we'd recognize that they're actually quite afraid. Yes, yes. Trying to frighten us. That's right. Uh, you know, um, to, 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 rule, to, to rule through fear by generating hate of others, of the other, uh, and, and, and there's so many, there's so many terrifying things in life. Um, and uh, that is, that's, that is not the way to live. It, it's not the way to deal with things. It's not the best way, definitely. Well, hopefully, like a phoenix will rise out of the ashes and be better for all of this on the other side. I, again, I'll draw on my Pollyanna optimism. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, adversity promotes growth. There's no question about that. Let's take a short break, Haley, and we'll come back. We have another segment here. And this is uh, such a joy to be able to chat with you and talk about your life. Haley's new book is called Forever Young, a memoir, better word than autobiography. It's memories and recollections. It's wonderfully written. And the audiobook too, is voiced by Haley. And if you want to bring Haley's wonderful energy into your life on your phone or your car or your speaker system at home, whatever you have, to get the audiobook as well as the print book, you can hear her voice telling you these stories about the Disney lot and all that's ensued in her uh, life since since then. Haley Mills, my guest, and we'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to KPFK. Hi, it's Carrie Harrison here with a quick way for you to profit while supporting KPFK. Remember this name, Vic Giza. He's the premier artist and cartoonist for Marvel and Disney. Well, he's designed a limited run of a full-size KPFK superhero poster that's going to blow your mind. Suitable for framing each gallery quality collectible poster is individually signed and numbered by the artist. So get them while you can by going to kpfk.com and look for the Vic Giza special KPFK superhero poster on our homepage, kpfk.org. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. My guest today, and what a pleasure, what an honor and privilege. I know people say that all the time, but gosh, it's really true. Haley Mills is with us today, primarily because she has a wonderful new book about her life. 
Forever Young, a memoir. And we're sharing some of those memories uh, with Haley today. And, um, you know, Haley, one of the things about your career, because you started so young as a child actor, you worked with some of the greats from that post-World War II era of the actors of the, really, the 40s and the 50s. It was the, I think your first movie was 59. Was it Tiger Bay? Yes, it was. It came out in 1959. Okay. And then in the 60s, of course, uh, the early 60s with Pollyanna and everybody remembers Parent Trap. Um, wonderful, wonderful films. But you were working with, uh, well, let me ask you, who stands out? Who comes to mind of that old crew of Hollywood actors that you worked with and were really impressed by as a little girl? I was very lucky, all right, Michael. I was incredibly lucky to work with actors and and human beings of that calibre. And I I really did love them all. I was a child and they were wonderful to me. I didn't have one problem with anybody. And I'm sure I was irritating and talked too much and, you know broke uh, their concentration but um i think that i i absolutely adored maureen o'hara i adored her because she was very warm and very down to earth she had a wonderful sense of humor she found everything marvelously amusing and she was beautiful she she was just you know i i was 14 when i worked with her and just a you know gawky adolescent and and this flamboyantly gorgeous red-haired Irish woman I just she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen and uh, and she was really terribly sweet to me and we had great talks you know when we were waiting to shoot the next scene or something like that she gave me time she she gave her time to talk to me. I also loved Una Merkel. She was a really, really sweet person with a great history. Um, she'd done a lot of movies in Hollywood, not one of the big, big stars, but she was always, she was always cast as like the best friend of the star, you know, or the funny one, you know, the, the plain one or the wacky one or something, but not the main one. Uh, and she was a darling person tremendously kind and tremendously warm and um she'd had a lot of tragedies in her life losing you know family members far too soon and far too young and and i think that gave her her great empathy and i think also quite possibly that's where her sense of humor came from you know the need to survive and find if not, you know, uh, look on the bright side of life, as we are talking about Monty Python a moment ago. Um, and Una um, uh, Merkel was like that. Just so many, so many. I, uh, Jane Wyman was a beautiful person, a really lovely person. And she was quite, you know, her, her faith was a, was a very, it was a very strong element in her life. 
And um, I didn't realize that at the time. But when I look back and I think about her now, I think I can see that quality in her. Yeah, I was very lucky. And I'll tell you who else I loved. Um, she was closer to me in age, is Nancy Olson. Nancy Olson was a sweet person. And we talked and giggled a lot like we were two, like she was a kid like me in, in Pollyanna. She played Nancy. She played the the maid in Aunt Polly's house. And I love her. I think the thing about big stars, truly big stars in Hollywood, is that off screen, they're big people. They fill their shoes. Uh, there are many women and men in Hollywood who become actors because they're looking for themselves in these roles and in these parts. I've worked with them in certain cases in personal development. But I think the greats, and I wonder how you feel about this, are people who bring a uh, deep understanding of who they truly are to whatever role they play. And so it's not just the celebrity of being famous and well-known and easily recognized and up on the silver screen. These are really dynamic, powerful personalities, it seems to me. That, again, we're, I'm, I'm bringing up the idea of magic. There's some special magic, not just any. You could be a good actor and still not have that magic on the screen, don't you think? I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's just you know, luck of the draw, really. I think that actors are communicators. That's what they want to do. They want to communicate, connect with other people. And I think that makes them interesting to other people because I don't know how to put this, really. We need each other as human beings. We need each other. And when actors get together... Initially, I mean, it's been said before, goodness me, you know, first day of rehearsals and you don't know each other, you're all strangers and you know that you've got to get to know each other very quickly. You can't take years in the normal way for friendships to develop. You have to just leap in and uh, and, and be open. I, I, I think that openness in actors means that people can see who you are they can they can they can like children i think they're open they have even if they're really really shy when they're acting you see who that person is you know when when you fall in love you suddenly see you believe you can see the intrinsic truth of that person you know that that person that you're in love with just is so amazing and just stands head and shoulders above the crowd and you can't believe that everybody doesn't go, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Look at this person. Because you see them with the eyes of love. Uh, but you see them truly. I don't think that you make it up. I think you see right through into their soul. And actors have to have, have, to have that. I have just seen one of my favorite actresses, Liv Ullman, again, in a film called Persona that she made with Ingmar Bergman. I think it was her first movie. And she plays this extraordinary character who was an actress who suddenly can't act anymore. 
and some trauma, some inner trauma, and you don't ever really find out what it is. It's a very odd film. Um, and she stops speaking. And uh, she's assigned this nurse, brilliantly played by B.B. Anderson, who never stops talking throughout the whole film, and Liv says nothing, nothing. And there is one shot where she's listening to music, and she turns her head to the camera to hear the music better, and you see this beautiful face, of course, which I have to admit helps, but it is so open, and you feel you can see straight into her eyes the way you can with children. Uh, and I think it's that thing about actors that is attractive and that I think actors have to have. I know my father had it. And when you think of all the actors that you really admire, they all have that. Well, I think screen acting in particular has gotten more refined, more subtle. If you look at old movies, you see this carryover from the stage. And while it may have fit the time, it now looks like overacting. Yeah. If you look at movies from the 50s and 60s, it's too exaggerated. Yeah. And now we have the close-up, the extreme close-up, just a raised eyebrow, you know, or uh, looking askance for a half a second can convey so much that... Uh, I think actors are beginning to realize the, the subtlety that they can convey if they're willing to be that open and be themselves in that role, find the truth of who they are in that role rather than, quote, play a role. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. But actors on film are ultimately at the mercy of the director and the editor. And it is true to say that, you know, a performance can be made and ruined in the editing room. Uh, it depends where they cut to. You know, the old, the old story about you just have an actor stare into the camera and then you cut to a house on fire or you cut to a baby being born and you will <laughs> fill in the, you will interpret what that look that actually says nothing, is saying, because you're being manipulated. Whereas on the stage, that doesn't happen. You can't do that on the stage. So the stage for me, I mean, I absolutely love working on film. I love, I always write from the very beginning, and I never quite understood why. I love working in front of the camera. I love the camera. It was like my friend. It was just there. It was always there, and it... I knew it was getting what I was thinking and what I was doing, and I didn't have to try. It was just getting it. Whereas when I went onto the stage, oh, my God, that was so frightening. The first time I went onto the stage to do a serious play, oh, my goodness. Um, <coughs> that was a whole. And then I, I ultimately, after, you know, a lot of stage fright and... and, and um, quivering cups in saucers, um, I realized that it was exactly the same thing as it was in front of the camera. It just had to be a little bit bigger. Otherwise, Uncle Auntie Mabel at the back of the theater wouldn't hear it. That was, I mean, that's a lot to, to, to 
make the audience think that actually you're speaking quietly and you're whispering, but actually you aren't because they can't hear you. So you have to give the impression. So it's it's a whole different challenge and um, endlessly fascinating. I can imagine. I've, I've never acted, but I've done a lot of public speaking and you do have to feel the room. Yes. Uh, yeah. the, the, the size of the room, the energy in the room, the ambience, it's... It's a subtle thing, but if you can feel the room, yes. then you communicate much more effectively. You, you, are you brave enough, Michael, when you do a speech, are you brave enough not to prepare and just go there and trust Yes, that right words will come to you? Yes. I, I am uncomfortable with you calling it bravery. Um, I feel in partnership with a higher self and what I say when I am on the radio or if I uh, am doing a public presentation I feel comes from me only partially maybe 20% from me and 80% through me right and so if I do let's say a one-hour presentation on a stage I might have four bullet points in my head, maybe three. And I just state the first bullet point and then riff on it <laughs> until it feels like I've pretty much rounded, uh, come back around on that, you know, made my point, probably restate it again, and then go to the second bullet point right. and just talk, just riff. Yes, yes. That's how I'm doing this interview with you is... <laughs> right. You have to have a sort of blueprint, I suppose. You have to have a blueprint. Yeah. But you, you, you have to allow for the unexpected. You have to. Yes. Like, what am I going to say? Am I going to say anything interesting? Are you, or am I going to be boring? Probably. Oh, you know, you, 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 you have to come in and as you are. Yeah. I, I have given quite a few speeches in my, my time. I don't think it's my great forte. And I work like mad and spend agonizing hours and days trying to get it right. And I stagger up to the podium and anxious and sweating. And I've got my notes and I've got it all in front of me like that. And then I find that I am so nervous that I can't look at them <laughs> because if I look at them, then I'll lose my place. And then I think, am I the back of the page or the front of the page and you know so i don't even look at them uh and i don't know if it's better or worse but it 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 has its own life yeah it's hard to explain but um i think as we come to understand ourselves better we realize that ego that's the term we usually use or persona is a role that we play in an attempt to, as well-intentioned as we may be, we want love, we want acceptance. And as we mature, ideally, we can set that guy aside and let the spiritual essence of who we are, the love that you were talking about, come through. And when you speak, for example, about looking at other people and seeing them fully and the love in them, that says as much more about you 
is about them and your willingness to open yourself and view them from that non-egoic place where I see myself in you, I see you in me, I see divinity and beauty and truth in everyone and everything. And uh, that's the mysticism that's so ineffable and difficult to talk about, but I think we know what we're <laughs> I think we know what we're saying. I think this audience has a very good idea of what we're talking about. I want to shift gears and go to the dark side for a minute because there's a tragedy in your book, Forever Young, where you're approaching your twenty first birthday and anticipating uh, gaining access to this vast trust, this wealth of Disney profits and proceeds. And tell us, Haley Mills, what happened? (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. Uh, Well, it was, um, I had a meeting at my trustees' offices in London, and I was handed a letter from Her Majesty's Inland Revenue, and they were basically claiming uh, over three quarters of the money in the trust. Uh, I won't go into all the reasons why, because it's too tedious, but uh, basically another case had happened that had, had changed things and had created a precedent. And from that precedent, the revenue felt that they were in a strong position to attack my trust. And, um, you know, it had been set up by my parents with these trustees when I was 14, um, when, 13 actually, when I signed the Disney contract, you know, uh, and with best will in the world, best of intentions, my father said, look, I want to protect this money for my daughter. I don't know what she's going to do. Is she going to want to act eventually? But, uh, you know, at least she'll have some money at the end of it. Now, at that time, I ought to <laughs> remind you that the the taxation in the UK in the 60s, in the early 60s, was ruinously high. It was the, the country struggling to get back on its feet after the Second World War. So the taxation was over 90%. At one point, believe it or not, it was 97%. Then it eased off a bit and it was 91%. 91% of people's earnings went. You know, this was called super tax, surtax. So my father wanted to protect the money that I was earning from super tax. So that was, we all thought, jolly good, that's very nice. And it was perfectly legal and above board. Anyway, to cut a long story short, the revenue thought otherwise. And they said, nope, she owes it. Um, pay up. So uh, I fought the case for five years. And we we fought, you know, through the the tax court, uh, the Court of Appeal. Uh, In the Court of Appeal, actually, I did win. Wonderful old judge called Lord Denning, uh, who was more of a real human being than just a cut-and-dried old judge. Um, I won there, but the revenue... um, had leave to appeal. So they took it up to the House of Lords and the House of Lords uh, squashed it. And so 
I had to pay up after five years. And basically, it was everything. I I had um, a little a little house, a beautiful small little house in the south of France, uh, and that was all. And um, it was extraordinary that such a thing could happen. I never believed that it would happen. I always believed that I would ultimately win uh, because I thought that that was the right thing. And I was wrong. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and and uh, as if that's not bad enough, your adorable little Oscar, you had a special juvenile award. Is that what they called it? A juvenile was it called a juvenile Oscar or something? It was called uh, an honorary because people didn't vote. The Academy itself voted. Um, uh, in those days, people didn't give children the, the big Oscar. They gave them a little statuette, which was half the size of the big, big Oscar. And um, it was a sweet little thing. I was given it for Pollyanna. Uh, but after um, they gave it to me, they stopped doing that and they gave children the big Oscar. Um, yeah, I'm afraid somebody took advantage of my absence uh, when I was in America doing a television series. And when I came home, it had disappeared. And I couldn't believe that it had gone. And I kept expecting it to turn up and... And even years later, when I sold the house, I was still thinking in some corner under some pile of rubbish, surely. But no, it never did. So somebody took it. And um, there we are. I tried to get, uh, I, 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 I spoke to the Academy about maybe getting another one. And they said, no, you can't have another one. Because after you were given yours, as I said, they stopped doing this. And they literally physically broke the mold and so they don't make them anymore. So I said, oh, well, I don't mind. Give me a, a big one then. And they said, no, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> well, it should. <laughs> well, it, at least your, uh, your is it your handprints or your footprints at Grauman's at Man's Theater? Oh, both, hands and feet. Both, hand, hands and feet. That's indelible. Nobody's going to steal that. <laughs> and... Uh, that's charming. That's a, a charming part of old Hollywood. Haley, um, I have so many questions for you that I'm just not able to get to because uh, we're all out of time. But this has been a pleasure and, and a joy. And, um, gosh, I wish you the best of luck. This is a bestseller. I mean, you don't need my endorsement, certainly, for this book to do well. But... Um, I'm so happy that you wrote this book and that you were willing to voice the audio book as well. Um, normally, I'd rather read than listen to an audio book, but I think in this case, the audio book is just charming. Oh, thank you. So for people listening who don't like to read, Haley will read it to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, really lovely of you to say that, Michael. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate your kind words about the book. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm so glad that you liked it. And um, something I never thought I'd do, uh, and I, I wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been, if Crispian, my eldest son, who you know, hadn't said to me, I'll help you. I'll help you, Mum. And uh, 
you know, that made all the difference because he knows me very well and he asked all the right questions. He kept me on track. His influence is very much the dramatic structure. He understands about that. He understands about the beginning and middle of an, and an end. And that includes every chapter as well. And I didn't realize that. So, you know, I couldn't have done this without Crispian. So I'm going to pass on your comments to him. Thank you. You know, um, Crispian's band, Kula Shaker, one of their songs was our theme music on KPFK for years and years and years. I know. I know. It means a lot to him and me too. It's great. Yeah, it was. Uh, you come from a very talented family. Your parents both so talented. Your children are talented. And uh, your talent means so much to so many people. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I, I, I really appreciate it. Doreen Sensor loved. Thank you. Give my love to her and my love to you. And this has been a pleasure, Michael. Bless you. Haley Mills, my guest, the new book, Forever Young, a memoir. You can get it wherever fine books are sold. And again, check out that audio book, too. I think that's just hearing Haley read it is special. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, thanks for joining us. We have some great shows lined up in the future in addition to this. We're on a roll. So hope you make it a point to tune in and Join the group Mind here live every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock. We live stream at kpfk.org, and of course we're podcasts to all player apps and aggregators and podcatchers, so you can listen that way. We post on YouTube as well. It's, it's everywhere, but we'd like you to be with us when we air live on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. Our webpage is theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it, theagelesswisdom.com. Thanks for being with us. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner on KPFK.